0: Hi. Welcome to the latest episode of Spirit in the Material World. I'm your hostess Jana Zinzi, also known as Jazz, and I'm super excited to be here with Dr. Nicole. That's what I'm calling you Dr. Nicole. I'll take it. <laughs> the amazing uh travel foodie influencer blogger, um just a really dope spirit, um and If you've been on Instagram and you like food, that voice, hey, foodie friends, (laughs) putting you on to the best food in New Orleans um, through Eat and Path, NOLA. That's right. It is. Um, So welcome. Thank
1: you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Thank you for for being here today. Of course. Um, So I would love to know just a little bit more. Tell the folks how you got into your, you know, travel and food blogging. Um, I'm new to New Orleans. So I just love your content. It's been a guide like all the time. I'm like, save post, save post. Okay, wait, send to my friend. Hey girl, we got to go here. Um, So yeah. Tell me a little bit more about how you got into this.
1: Absolutely. Um, So I've been in New Orleans for about 10 years now. And so I really started when I moved here. Um, I was, you know, new to the city. i had always loved the city, like knew this is where I wanted to live. Um, But, you know, was new and exploring and was basically trying to find a way to just keep track for myself, like where I was eating, what I liked, you know, what I was doing, what I enjoyed. Um, and a way to stop bothering like friends and family who weren't in the city, and like bombarding them with my food pictures, and bombarding my personal feed with like nothing but food pictures. So, um, that's how it started. Like just simply like a way to track and remember places that I liked, places that I tried. Um, and from the start, it. I think it it um, brought up this like deep passion for food and culture that I knew I had, like it had always been there. But, um, you know, when you find yourself doing something you really, really like, and then all of a sudden everyone else is like, this... Like, you do this so well. Like, we want more of it. Like, little things like that used to happen So and and, and still happen. So I can remember even just, like, the first three months of um, starting, and it was, like, a Tumblr back then, like, mm-hmm. because I like easy things. And someone was like, oh, Tumblr's easy. You just upload a picture and, like, a quick p- caption. Um, and Instagram was still kind of new, you know? So um, I was like, okay, yeah, I'll do a Tumblr. So even just like a couple months in, I was asked to like write um, write for Invade NOLA, which I'm not sure if they're still around, but it was like a local kind of zine um, that had like a food section. Um, they eventually had a book. I had like a chapter in the book. So I just started getting kind of connected and different oppor- opportunities were opening up around like food and culture um, and writing and and tracking it in the city. Um but yeah, like in short, it was just a way for me to track and then other people became interested in it and were like asking me for advice and questions. And um, I've always been a really curious person. So I've, I always am like really deeply, deeply, deeply invested and interested in getting to know the place that I am. And in New Orleans, as you know, food is so deeply tied to our culture and our history, right? um and so it was it was just like a natural way to get to know the city and also like uplift it in some ways that's one of the
0: things i actually really appreciate about what you do um it the distinction that you always it's not just like hey this food is delicious oh my god go get this drink you always offer some reflection of the culture, mm-hmm. um, and particularly going to different, like, ethnic, quote unquote, cuisines, yep. you know, of different, um, different communities here, which yeah. I love because I always learn something um, about one that's the history of, like, rice, you know, <laughs> it'll be that, you know, and, or something about the culture of, um, how it's really tied to New Orleans. And I think that's something that's really unique and really cool about, um, what you're doing here and, and what you do with, with food blogging. Um, so I just want to big you up for that. Cause I, that's really what was like, made me be like, oh, I want to keep following ah. this information. So, um, always appreciating like the education about, you know, culture, um, and history. I think it's important, um, as like travelers as, and also too, even as just like transplants. I mean, you've been here 10 years, I'm very new. Um, but I think it's really dope. So I love to see that.
1: Yeah. And I do too. And I think, um. I've always been a lover of history. My undergraduate major was in history before I was like, history? I'm like, yeah, I love history. Um, and particularly in college, started to like unlearn a lot of the problematic history that we're taught in K-12, right? Like, wait a minute. I've been lied to um, and started learning more about like black and brown history and legacies in this country. And um, I think to your comment around like, you know, being an intentional traveler in some ways, I think that's such an easy lift for all of us to do, right? Like look up the history of the place that you're going um, and like specifically like the critical history, right? Like the history from the quote unquote bottom up. Um, And it's such an easy, simple like task, I think, to just get to know place and where you are and honoring like. The you know black indigenous and communities of color that have been there um, and that have likely contributed to the entire culture of that place, right? So exactly. yeah. Um, so I appreciate you for um, appreciating it because
0: yeah, no, I think that that's important um, to be in community, and also I think um, being working in travel, being you know travel writers, bloggers, influencers that it's important for us to model that. And so to that point, I'm wondering, do you have tips or tricks that you suggest for, you know, travelers on how to do some of that research? Because I wonder sometimes um, if folks don't know, and also they may not know if the history that they're getting is solid, you know, like kind of through what lens it's from. So I'm just curious if there's things that you've done, you know, in your own research that might be helpful to our audience
1: yeah um one of the things i do is just like really explicit google searches like you know so like indigenous. so last november i was in we were in utah for a family trip to some national parks in utah and so my husband and i committed to like specifically looking up indigenous history of utah and so we got a couple of books we watched a couple of youtube videos to like really understand you know, the people of that place and what happened to them and, you know, what they're doing now and, um, you know, ways that we can even support. So I remember finding like a couple of nonprofits there and, you know, donating. So I think um, those are, um, I, th- I think simple ways, like, you know, do a critical Google search, like indigenous history of New Orleans, Black History of New Orleans. like really that's what I search. Um, mm-hmm. I sometimes even do like if I'm posting about a cocktail or something, my explicit Google search is like Black History of mixologists. Like it's all there. It's just like if you don't put the like particular identity or community first, it's unfortunately not the first thing Google is going to pull up. Um, So I'm like, just use your keywords well. Um, And then I think another step, like if you're able to is, um, like going back to the example around Utah, is also doing some vetting of like, you know, local organizations or communities there that might be accepting donations. Um, And, you know, commit to, all right, Um, let's donate, you know, $200 and spread it across maybe three organizations, right? Like a drop in the bucket based on how much you might be spending on the whole trip, right? But it's still some kind of commitment and honoring of like the place and the people that are there. Um, So those would be my tips. And I just always say to like, just question every, question all the information you're receiving and like, do a counter search. Like, okay, you can read the history of New Orleans, but now Google search, like I said, Black history of New Orleans, you know, and do your own kind of compare and contrast.
0: I love that. I think that's really important. Um, One of the things that I think about and talk about a lot is media literacy. Mm. And that's exactly what that is, is like, you know, basically knowing where you're getting your information from. Um, questioning the sources. Um, and that was one of the things like you know, you and I have talked about that in terms of you know starting wander women is like, you know, reading a lot of different blogs and not being able to like see ourselves yeah. represented. Um, and also, you know, just knowing who history is told through, how how history is propagated and wanting to be conduits for, you know, like the people's history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, like you said, Black, Indigenous, and um, communities of color. So I super dig that. And one of the things that just was coming to me, um, wh- that one in terms of what I've noticed from your work, um, and then also too, as you were talking, um, it is Latinx Heritage Month or Hispanic Heritage Month um and what i really appreciate about your framing is that there is a centering of like black and indigenous mm-hmm. um communities mm-hmm. um and i know that that can be you know an issue i think sometimes in terms of like anti-blackness and um you know uh and and that's something that is an interesting conversation that's happening so i'm curious about just like if you have um You know, any offerings for folks in terms of that piece of their research or, you know, like what that connection has been for you, especially being in a place like New Orleans, which is like such a black city?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think particularly as it as it's connected to like Latinx communities, um. You know, we, I'm Cuban American. Um, I'm mixed race. So, like, my mom's side of the family is from Cuba. They're a mix of like Afro Cuban and like Spanish, right? And my dad is white from the US. So, I say all that to, I say that because all of that matters, right? Like, our identities matter with how um, they, give us lenses to look through things and interrogate things. And Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, I I think often, like in communities of color, um, there is rampant anti-Blackness, right? Like how how many of us who are not Black learned to succeed was by drinking the poison that the colonizer was giving us, which was telling us, all of these negative things about about our Black communities, right? Um, And so I think for those of us um, in the Latinx community in particular, like you really have to sit with that, like where notions of like good hair come from or like upholding the race, like where does all of that come from? That comes from anti-Blackness. And I think coupled with like interrogating messages you may have received, um, like growing up or things that you saw in the media or what have you, like also, again, like doing your own research or Googling around the Black history that does show up in Latinx communities. Like, again, most of the culture in Caribbean and Latin American communities are 100% tied to Black and Indigenous people. Right. And like Latin America and the Caribbean are also interesting places where a whole lot of like racial mixing happened and still, and sometimes that leads to like whitewashing of some like, oh, well, we're just everything. We're all mixed. Like there's no issues here. We're all one race. And it's like, Mm -hmm. "Mm." and (laughs) when you do that, you're still erasing blackness and indigeneity Um, And so like, do some Googling, like look up where salsa music came from, look up where like barbecuing came from. Um, And you'll start to see the deep connections between like, you know, black and indigenous communities in our culture, music, like the beats, the how, how cook, how things are prepared, even ingredients. I remember um, several years ago, um, a friend of mine, she's Nigerian and Ghanaian. It was like the first time I had this like wait a minute, we eat the same food. Like you eat plantains, I eat plantains. You eat yuca, I eat yuca. Like you prepare things, like lots of stews and one pot meals, we do that too. Like you eat oxtails, I eat oxtails. And I was like, wait a minute. And that's what kind of kicked off a lot of my research on like, oh, yeah, this comes from a people, right? That we are not often uplifting naming. and naming. We do it mm-hmm. for like the United States too, right? Like all the countries do it, but I think, um, yeah, just like doing your own research and also like sometimes you have to sit in your shit and interrogate like these messages that you've received or these thoughts that pop into your mind um, that are like, mm, these are harmful, not productive, and are not going to move forward any of our you know agendas as communities of color to have a more equitable and inclusive space where we all can belong. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's what I think about a lot to like push myself forward. And I try and model that, you know, I make mistakes all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. Um, but I try and model that as much as I can on my page by like uplifting the stories and things that you've named.
0: Thank you so much for, for offering that. And I super appreciate that. It's something that, um, I think about a lot too, in terms of, you know, internalized anti-Blackness. I'm a, I'm a Black biracial woman, um, and my background is um, I am adopted, but my birth father is Haitian. Mm -hmm. And so it's so interesting learning more about, like, these conversations are popping up about is um, if you're Haitian, are you Latino or Latinx, right? And so I've just been like, I never thought about that. Yeah, You know, to me, it was never in a thing at all and the funny thing is if we're going to talk about identity growing in, growing up in new york i'm also like half italian you know so it's like that's uh you know the the biracial piece yeah. and so growing up in new york everybody thought my whole life i was puerto rican it does not matter where i go what i do people here have asked me if i'm puerto rican people <laughs> in mexico ask me if i'm puerto rican people in costa rica ask me if i'm puerto rican and i'm like no by default like honorary sure maybe just like growing up in New York you know what I'm saying but like no and it's funny though because it's there's um an image of what that looks like right of what a Puerto Rican person looks like yes you know and even if you take it to like the J-Lo which is more you know fair and yes. you know like a, a more like a whiter type of features with a you know it's just so interesting these conversations and how they bring up you know, um, colorism, you know, the whole entire, the history of Haiti and like DR. Um, there's just been some really interesting conversations about what actually is Latinx. Um, and so I love seeing how it is bringing up the broader conversations of anti-Blackness within Latinx communities. Um, and also like, a um, I think there's something really beautiful about making these connections differently, mm-hmm. um, with like spitting historical facts and like what these terms mean. Like, what does Latinx mean? What does Hispanic mean? And like the language that is used around identity, race, and who decided these these words? Correct. Yeah, you know, like what those to your point, what those images are for people for all of us what we've been fed is oh this is a this is a Latino this is a La-, you know what I mean um and so even so like I remember too in high school I have a uh, one of my homegirls she's still one of my best friends in the whole world shout out to Melissa if you're watching but <laughs> hey, um, <Lisa. laughs> right so um, she's Panamanian, and so mm-hmm. in high school she would be like, "I'm black," and I'd be like, "Yeah, but you're Panamanian too." And she'd be like, "Yeah, but I'm black." And so it took me a minute; it took me years until I finally like really understood what she was saying. And I'm like, "Oh, duh," you know. And it was my own very um, narrow idea, and like you know, education, miseducation of what, like of how you put people in boxes yeah. based on country of origin, yeah. you know, we
1: love boxes, you know, and if you study like brain, like brain science, like the science of the brain, um, Our brain is actually kind of lazy. Like we're, our brain is super lazy. So like once we learn about a box or a category, we're like, bet that's the box and category. And that's where I'm, and this is where biases come from, right? Because we're like, our brain's like sorting and it's like, oh, this goes here, this goes here, da, da, da. Okay, easy. I can rest. Um, so yeah, you do have to constantly like interrogate and push yourself because your brain is just naturally going to funnel things in like easy ways. Um, but those boxes and categories don't allow people to be the complex humans that we really are, right? Like you can be black and Panamanian, you can be biracial from like two totally different ethnicities, right? Like all of these things, um, it's just, um, it makes our brain, you know, Spin a little bit harder than than it normally does, but it also opens up this beautiful world where you're able to see people for like the full beings that they are, and like let them just be them, whatever that means, right? So and, yeah, and I
0: think that's part of like our own decolonization, yeah. like that internal where you said like we're just sitting with our own nonsense, the stuff that we've learned, the stuff that we've internalized, you know, what we've been told about all sorts of different things, um, hair and, you know, certain cultures and y- there's spirituality, oh, like yes. there's so many different things. Um, you know, and for me, I think one of the things that we share is this love of these diaspora connections, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Like, like finding more and more ways in which we're connected and yes. we're in community, which I always say, I'm like, Oh, we're country cousins. You know what I mean? And even though this is different, um, I I love this story of when I was in Vietnam. I was um, on this train ride and they had a guy with a food car and he had um, some mango. So I was like, Yeah, I'm gonna get this mango. I'm hungry on this train and I know I could eat mango. You know, it's not gonna make me sick or anything. So I get this mango and he gives me this little packet and it had like salt, like chili salt. Oh, I was like, Yeah, they got tahini in Vietnam. <laughs> Right now. <laughs> you know, so it just like blew my mind. And so it's like those kinds of things is like understanding, like we are all country cousins. We all have these different, you know, um, ways in which we are um, expressing that based on like kind of where our people landed yeah. and who was, co- you know, who colonized who and who, mi- wh- who migrated where and what was mixing, you know. But how beautiful it is that these like ancestral roots are just always showing up for us in all of these ways. And I feel like, especially in these times, this is when it's important for us to really know about these connections Mm -hmm. because things are so divisive, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and also because there's so much travel going on that it's like my, you know, um, Aquarian hope and dream that. These are ways to just continue to expand the conversation, expand our minds, do that decolonizing work, see those connections amongst each other, yeah. um, and like create more uh, a global, global community of folks. So
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it. I
0: love it. <laughs> yeah. So tell me, well, let's get back to food for a second. Okay. I would love to know for people who want to visit New Orleans because you are a foodie Don't concierge. Question. What are you going to ask me? Are you about to ask me my favorites? I won't ask you your favorite. <laughs> I won't ask you that. But since I know that you do, um, so you know, planning planning for folks that want to come to New Orleans. Yes. If you had to pick, I'll give you three things, Lordy, because one is hard that people should try when they come to New Orleans. What would you say?
1: Okay. Um, I would say, um, so I'm, I'm categorizing this since you gave me three into like some of our largest populations in the city. So that's the route I'm going to go for this. Um, so of course, like our, so I won't give like specific names of places you should go, but like categories you should search. So, um, Our three, I hope I'm right on this. I think I'm right. Our three biggest populations in New Orleans are, um, of course, Black, right? Black African-American is over 60% of our city. And then a really growing Latinx population, specifically Hondurans. More specifically, Garifuna, which are the Afro-Hondurans. And I think Belize as well. Garifuna kind of span a certain, yeah, a certain area. Um, And then Vietnamese. So... I would say, and I should have mentioned this earlier when I was giving my tips, like, once you kind of figure out the populations of the place you're going, like, go support those businesses and go eat at those places, right? So, um, and there's, you know, tons of lists that you can find, like, you know, our top Black owned restaurants, Latinx, Honduran owned, um, and Vietnamese, and do some exploring around that. And then also Google, like, the connections between those three communities and food culture in this city, because... Those are also rampant and deeply connected. You mentioned Haitian. I mean, we have such a strong, strong connection to Haiti in this city Mm. and Afro-Cubans. Like there was all kinds of organizing between Haitians and Afro-Cubans, you know, back in the day in the Treme actually. So anyway, that's what I would say, like bucket your research into like those three categories. And um, I mean, you could just stick with those categories and literally book your entire trip and have a delicious time. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say.
0: I love that. That is an excellent recommendation. Um, and I now I'm like, oh, I need to do this research about Haitian and Afro-Cuban
1: organizing in Treme. Yeah. Um, it's deep. It's really deep. I'm going to try and remember the book. Um, and I have some articles too, but yeah, I'll send it your way. Mm -hmm.
0: That'd be great. That'd be great. That's one thing about New Orleans is I feel like it's just like layers and layers and layers because of the migration patterns because of what this city being a port city but also like a city where folks could come as a haven for a lot in a lot of ways right whether you were like a freak artist you know whether you're like escaping revolution you know all sorts of different things um which is what is really like powerful and amazing one of many things that's that's incredible about this city, um, as well.
1: And, what and thing, then I, Oh, sorry. One thing no, please continue. you've got me thinking, because I think what's even like, more interesting to add on to the things that you shared is that new Orleans was like that even before it was new Orleans. So I've gone on a couple of, I would recommend this for folks too. Um, there's these Bulbancha indigenous walking tours of new Orleans. Um, Bulbancha is the indigenous word for new name for new Orleans. Get um, roughly translates to like land of many tongues. Um, and Even for our indigenous communities, like this was the gathering and meeting place. Like this was the trade place. This is where you met up to do things. Like it was always a bustling, like mixing of people and practices and trade, um, you know, even pre-colonization. So it's really like deeply embedded in our soil, you know, Um, which I think is really beautiful to think about too thank you
0: for sharing that. I love that. And I'm like, I want to go on those walking tours <laughs> like ASAP. I'm going to Google that. I have my list of things to Google after our conversation. I
1: love Googling things.
0: Yes, Googling yes. Things. There it is. Um, what was I going to ask you? I just- oh, I'm Yes, I'm so sorry. I cut you off. off. No, 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 no. That was very important to um, include. Um, so I'm grateful for that because, um, yeah, I think Or I I definitely want to know more about the indigenous um, roots here, um, especially because some of my orientation is through like Mardi Gras Indians and understanding that beautiful connection between um, black folks, you know, who were like enslaved Africans and the indigenous tribes that were here. And what, um, you know, community building looked like. Um, So I'm super into this. Um, what I was going to ask is for the folks out there who maybe are aspiring food bloggers, looking to, you know, get more into like food writing or, you know, um, doing like food vlogging, do you have any tips, tricks, uh, words of wisdom and advice that you can share?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, number one, and I this for fear of sounding like Trite or contrite, I never know how to use those words. Um, but to be yourself, like honestly, be your if you are able to find your own voice. Um, like people are just drawn to that, right? Like, not everyone's going to love your particular voice, like, and that's okay. But I think we're all naturally drawn to people that are. I'll speak to myself, I love being around people that are themselves, even if it's like. I don't really dig the thing that you're really into, but I love that you're like so into it and that it allows you to be like your full and authentic self. Like, I love that for you, you know? So, um, I think finding your voice, um, and, you know, being as authentic as you can be on your platform, like people are drawn to that. Um, and, Um, like logistically speaking, I think get on a schedule. Like for Mm -hmm. me, my like planning time and posting time is usually early morning when things are just, you know, quieter in my household. Um, but I think like consistency in your planning is going to help you in the long run. Um, because, you know, especially if you're going to launch your work on a social media platform, those social media platforms and algorithms love consistency. So they love like you know a daily post or a three times a week post that happens at the same time right um and and also like your audience is able to like expect you know a regular recurring message from you
0: mm-hmm. um
1: and then i think too like builds um a lot of my success i think is just through like building community and connections um so i think And being curious. So I think too, like, you know, get out of your own bubble, like talk to people, get to know them, like particularly around food stuff. I'm like, if I can talk to the chef or owner or, you know, whomever inspired this vision and like understand more about their why, like that's so interesting to me. Right. And I think it also in me being able to share that story, um, it allows folks to even build like a deeper connection with the business in some way. Right. So Um, So if I was bucketing it in three things, like, you know, being authentic, finding your voice, um, you know, logistically speaking, finding your, like, planning, thinking, posting time, because this takes a lot of time, Um, and then not being afraid to build connections and build community. Like, that's what this is all supposed to be about. Um, So, you know, asking questions, talking to folks, um, I think all helps to strengthen, you know, what comes out on your platform, too. That is great advice. That is great advice. Um, The
0: macro and then the micro, like the consistency and and those tips.
1: And don't be afraid to give yourself a break, too. Like sometimes I'm like, it's just not happening for two days. Like I just, (laughs) it's just not happening. (laughs) Yes, yes. It is.
0: And and it's real talk. It does take a lot of time. Um, You know, like a 30 second reel is a lot of, a lot. Yep. So I feel I feel better too when I hear people say that because I'm like, is it just me that is like (laughs)
1: it's not just you. It is not this takes so much time. (laughs) So much time. But you know, I really enjoy it and it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time.
0: (laughs) Same. It's like both and multiple truths are happening at the same time. Yep. Totally. (laughs) Dr. Nicole Caridad, you are a gem. You are a gem. Thank you so much for being here. Can you let the folks know how they can find you, um, where, how, all the socials, all the info?
1: Absolutely. Um, okay. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok as at Eaton Path Nola. So Eaton, like E-A-T-E-N, like Beaten path, but eaten path, um, and then Facebook. I'm off the eaten path, Nola, um, and then I also have a website, eatenpathnola.com, um, where you can see my like monthly favorites on there. You can get in touch with me, um, and if you're interested in like a curated foodie experience of the city, um, you can also contact me for that, you know, concierge service as well. Um, and yeah, and I love talking to the people. So like DM me, like if you have recs for me, I love to hear recs. If you have questions for me, like people frantically DM me, like I'm going to be in mid city on Saturday. Like, where should I eat? Like I love helping out with stuff like that. So feel free to send me some messages, um, and connect.
0: I love it. Duly noted.
1: (laughs) You're great with the food recs. So
0: um, I hope folks will take advantage and check out all that you're offering, especially folks who are coming from out of town. Definitely connect with Dr. Nicole. Um, You will be very pleased. Your belly um, will be full and happy. Yes.
1: We can guarantee
0: that. That's for sure. that's, That's right. Well, thank you again for being here. This is spirit in the material world. I am so happy to be here and I will see you all soon. Make sure to um, find us at wanderwomentravels.com and we'll see you soon.
1: Thank you.